0: Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Now, to part 2 of our series talking to ambassadors from I Am Second about their amazing testimonies and road to Christian faith. Now, Chris Pleckenpol. He was a military leader in the US Army, something that often conflicts with a position of faith. Chris went to war in Iraq as a commander. He saw his own soldiers die and watch terrorists blow themselves up. One day after watching a man die, whom he could have saved, Chris realized that, in fact, he was the terrorist who was an enemy of God. But then his life changed significantly. Chris is now one of these brilliant ambassadors for I Am Second, proclaiming God Comes First in All Areas of Life. He's also the pastor of Wells Branch Community Church in the U.S., and he joins us now on Open House. Chris, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm excited to speak to uh, the land down under.
0: (laughs) It's great to have you here. Let's start with that first time that you decided to embrace Christian faith. What prompted you to make that decision?
1: I am at the first part of my initial training as an Army officer, and I'm in Fort Knox, Kentucky, I was about to go to a really difficult school called Ranger School. And Ranger School was it's just this intense minimum of sixty four days where you don't eat a lot, you don't sleep a lot, and it's a really prestigious thing. There's a part of me that had so much fear about it, it was almost crippling. I said, The only way that I'm gonna be able to pass this thing is if I get God on my side. I gotta go to a church where God must be and he must be where all the people are. So I thought I'm gonna go find the biggest church possible. I wound up at this church called Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, about 30,000 people go to this thing, I and mean, it's just a monster. <laughs> and I walk in, and I'm thinking, this is ridiculous, you know, escalators going up to, like, the third balcony, all sorts of stuff. And the message that the pastor spoke just hit me right, right in the heart every time. You know, I couldn't figure out why I kept crying. Like, what is wrong with me? And eventually, you know, the pastor always talk about accepting Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and there'd be people walking down for an altar call, and I'm an American, so therefore I'm a Christian. Yes. I'm thinking to myself, they must be really terrible sinners. You know, I'm, I'm thinking that must be the child molester, that, must be, so that that person probably murdered somebody, you know, that one committed adultery. I'm just, like, judging these people as I walk down. And all of a sudden, I start to realize that the thing, the issue I'm having is I don't want anyone to think bad of me. I don't want anyone to think that I'm all messed up, <laughs> that I need something. And then all of a sudden I realize um, if I'm more afraid of people, than I am of God, that I'm in trouble, and I started to realize, uh uh-oh, I think I am just as bad as everybody else. I think God revealed to me my own depravity, my own sinfulness, and I went running down the aisle like a baby and accepted Christ, December 3rd, 1999, was baptized the next day, and it just started me off on this adventure with God.
0: Did it help you with your fear?
1: It totally did. Here's the bizarre thing about that. like There would be times when I would be wanting to hesitate, or, you know, not, I'd be timid about, you know, taking a leadership or taking uh, control of something, and then all of a sudden I'd just feel the power of the Spirit. Or just the circumstances would just push me to make a decision, and that's all it really took. I think God, just through the Holy Spirit, gave me the, the, the ability to overcome fear, to face fear with courage. That peace carried over. Uh, in combat. And that was the bizarre part. I, I got so confident in my relation with the Lord in combat that everything was going to be okay. I knew that God was in control. So if I lost a limb or if I lost my life, I knew ultimately that I would be okay. And so that came really important um, as I got to Iraq as a company commander. And uh, there, I was in charge of a 100 men, uh, like 21 tanks, seven Bradleys, like mini tanks. And uh, we would just drive up and down the highway looking for bad guys. Sometimes an RPG, which is a rocket-propelled grenade, might zip across the front slope of my tank, or uh, an IED, an improvised explosive device, might explode and kill or maim one of my men. Uh, or a sniper, he, he might try and take somebody's head off. And I'll never forget that first day of combat. I'm just standing outside the command post. I look down at my watch, and it says 1404, 204 p.m. And as I look down... Boom, a massive explosion erupts about a mile and a quarter out. And smoke and fire billows into this mushroom cloud about 250 feet high. I hear gunfire in the background. I hear panic voices, guys terror, terrified. And there's three letters that you never want to hear come across the radio in combat, and that's KIA, killed in action. The first four minutes, I've lost my first soldier, and I'm, I'm just kind of stunned for a moment. <laughs> And, but I can't do anything about it, because as soon as we get outside that west gate, we're taking small arms fire, machine gun fire, and mortars from the north side of the Euphrates River. I'm emotionally drained, because that night I got to sit down and write a letter to uh, Sergeant Valant's wife, uh, Michaela, and 13-year-old daughter, Sarah, and explain to them how to let their father and husband die. It's at that point where you, you're doing a double-check on your face. I'm looking up God going, I don't know what you're doing. But it definitely doesn't feel like you're right here. I, I got my executive officer, second command of my office, and I said, look, for the first hour of the morning, I've got to focus. i got to go spend time with God, so I'm going to go over to the chapel, and I would just talk to God, and I would lay out all my issues, all my heartbreak, all the stuff. And that's how I made it. You can never let your current circumstances determine the presence of God. God is always with you.
0: And then comes another turning point for you when you watch a terrorist get blown up by his own bomb.
1: Yeah. This was, a, it was one of those moments that just is seared into your brain, and you replay it a lot. The terrorist went to... He was driving his car bomb into the tank. He smashed into the tank before he could detonate the bomb, and he knocked himself out. I'm super close to uh, the vehicle. I'm about 100 meters away. And I can see there's six huge bombs underneath the uh, the hood of this car. And so the, uh, the bomb squad detonates the uh, C4, somehow starts a fire in the gas tank. And I'm thinking I could drive up there, jump out, scoop this guy up, pull him out. Then all of a sudden I realize that this guy's going to die and we're going to watch him. And he rolls out of the car because the heat wakes him up. I mean, we're talking like 5,000 degrees. I can see he's still alive. He's trying to roll away. He's trying to roll away. And I'm watching the fire grow closer to the bomb. And all of a sudden, the car blows up. All that is left is dust. And I sprint up to where this guy was. And his body had been ripped in half. And I sit and I watch crimson fill the sand. And uh. I'm just sitting there watching, the thoughts that roll through my mind is this. When uh, I'm a sinner, and God, in His mercy, didn't sit in His tank and just uh, watch me die, He sent Jesus. And Jesus came from heaven to earth to to take my place, unafraid of the consequences and the risks of dying for me. Those were the thoughts that were running through my mind, is that I needed a Savior, eternity, separated from God, uh, and torment awaited me unless Jesus came and saved my soul and was humbling. um, Those are the thoughts that were racing through my mind just sitting there watching the blood flow. I try to wrap my mind around that, and every time I do, it sometimes brings me to tears just to think about how much love God must have for his people— who are his enemy and yet he dies for them so he can save them. That that that's that's unbelievable.
0: And that becomes one of the catalysts for you to leave the army and ultimately go to Bible school.
1: That definitely was one of the catalysts that, that the story I would tell whenever I ta- tell people about what Jesus did for you, especially when I when I preach and I teach, those thoughts come up in my mind is that you were unworthy of saving and yet he saved you. I was unworthy of saving, and yet he saved me. Before i had even gone to war, I felt God's tug of my heart uh, to go to seminary. It was one of those bizarre moments. I just In, in America, we have a thing called Special Forces Green Berets, and I'd just gotten selected to be a part of that. And it's an elite army unit. After being selected, going to my first training thing, all of a sudden I could just hear God's voice saying, it's time. And, and I knew exactly what it's time meant. Uh, and it was time for me to call the army tell them I was getting out and I was going to go to seminary to learn how to read the Bible and how to teach and preach and now I'm a pastor
0: you also become an author of a book called Stumbling Souls about basically putting God's agenda ahead of your own and you practically did this by taking in a homeless homosexual Hurricane Katrina victim off the streets into your home what a huge thing Uh, to do
1: in the moment you don't think it's a big decision Uh, In the moment, you're like, well, that's the only thing to do. Uh, But, you know, looking back, I'm like, gosh, that was crazy. I was hosting a Bible study for uh, fairly well-to-do guys. You know, it's about 12 guys that are not poor by any stretch of the imagination. Probably most of them had never met a homeless guy or at least had never, you know, entertained a conversation more than, no thanks, Uh, I'm good, you know. And uh, and so – I'm at, I'm sitting at church one day and I see this homeless guy come in, he's got all his like backpacks and all sorts of stuff and he's leaving the, the church. And as I'm watching him leave, something inside me stirred. And then I thought I wonder who if anybody knew his name. Before I stopped myself, I started walking after this, this guy almost at a, a minor jog and I'm like, Hey, hey buddy He turns around and I'm like, Hey, uh I was wondering if you had lunch plans <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, Twitch! You know he's like, no. I'm like, would you mind come to lunch with me? I'd like to get to know you. I, what a thing to say to somebody. I, I don't say that to normal people. You know, I don't. I don't know why we problems prompted that, but there I am. And so he comes to lunch with me, and a whole bunch of our friends. We're hanging out, and I think he kind of expected us to just ignore him, and just you know, give him food, and just sit there, and you know, you know, pat him on the head, and say thanks for making us feel good. But we started to engage him in conversation. And he told us the story he kind of, right off the bat. He's like, well, I'm gay. And we're like, I mean, you know, awkward silence for a second. And then we just moved right past that. And he, he said uh, he was a, uh, an HIV victim, and we're, we, were, we didn't freak out. And, you know, he was homeless from Hurricane Katrina, which you know, wiped out the city of New Orleans. And everyone that was homeless found their way to different cities around America, and one of them was Dallas. I was thinking we would just, you know, feed him, talk to him, have a nice day. But my friend, who was also a cop, he says, hey, why don't you come? We have, we have a Bible study that meets every week. Why don't you come? And I'm sitting there like, yeah, of course. Why don't you come? Uh, and so he, he shows up. And then he shows up week after week. And so here, you know, the prayer request for the guys that in this little Bible study were like, you know, I'm, I want to make, you know, $10,000 more a year. and You know, something, you know, just on a level that he doesn't even relate to. He's like – Hey guys, I just put, had somebody put a knife to my back and take the only eight dollars I have. I know it's not much to you, but when that's all you have to live on, it's tough. And we're we're just sitting there feeling like, wow, it, it totally wrecked our whole thought of what it was to live a sacrificial life, and you know all that. He no longer became the homeless guy; he became James. He no longer he was no longer the guy that you were, you know, feeling sorry for. He was a guy that was a friend of yours that prayed for you. It was it was a bizarre transition. And then all of a sudden, it starts to rain in Dallas like crazy. I'm sitting where, you know, one of my buddies, you know, he was taking him back to the streets that night. And uh, I was just grateful it wasn't me. And uh, he calls me after he drops him, off, drops him off. He's like, dude, I just left James at a, like a clothes washing place. I mean, he's not, he's going to sleep on the floor if they let him stay there. He has no place to go. What kind of Christians are we? And they said, he was like, if I was a single guy, he'd be staying with me. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, at the time I was a single guy, and I was like, you're right. <laughs> and so for the for me, it wasn't like a guilt trip. It was the same thought I was having. He just voiced it. And so the next time I saw him, I was like, hey, James, um, you're going to come home with me. There's a feel-good moment that comes when you you know you're doing the right thing. But with any relationship, it kind of wears off. Uh, and eventually, here's the miraculous thing. um but he gets a job. Like, some random guy comes into a Bible study that we're doing. He's like, hey, I'm looking to hire somebody to clean for me. I'm paying $100 a day. And I'm like, I know the guy. You know, it was perfect. And so I take take James and I drop him off. And it's like, I'm just so excited. I can't even get over it. And then uh, two days later, the guy that he worked for calls me. He's like, hey, where's James at? Where's James? I'm like, what do you mean, where's James? I thought he was with you. And he's like, hey, he didn't show up today, and I'm stuck. And I'm like, oh, no. And, and so then the reality of, like, how difficult this was going to be just kind of hit me. I was like, are you doing drugs? like, no, of course not. My friend Bill, who was a cop, the guy that originally invited him, or he's like, James, I know you're on drugs. Don't lie to me. And eventually James confesses, yeah, I'm on drugs. You guys knew that the whole time. I'm like, James, I didn't know what you're talking about. Um, and so I'm like, James, we will do whatever, you, whatever we need to do to help you out. We will pay whatever needs to be paid. Do you want help? You've gotta want it. And he's like, No, nah, I don't know. And so we had to take him back to the streets and kick him out. And I didn't hear from him for two years. And then two years later I get an email from him. He's like, Chris, um, I got help. And I'm graduating from a rehab thing. Would you uh would you please be there? I wanna to apologize to you in person. And so two years after I kicked him out, I get to go and see him graduate from a uh a rehab institution where he was clean, drug-free, and it was powerful. And the cool thing about it is after I, I kicked him out, this is what's so neat about this story is that, you know, you find this, these things out in hindsight, is that uh, James was walking, and he said he was going to go find a roof to jump off of because he felt so low. The guy sticks his hand through a fence, and he's got a sandwich. He says, hey, man, you want a sandwich? <laughs> oh. And then James goes and gets a sandwich, and the guy looks at him, no kidding. And the first word, he says, you know, God's not done with you yet. Wow. So he hung out with that guy for a little while until he mm-hmm. wore out his welcome once again, and another guy came up and said, hey, uh, God's oh. not done with you yet. And then another guy, and then another guy. Just showing God's unbelievable patience. I mean, this is what's so powerful. God, he, he doesn't quit on us. He pursues us. He hunts us down. He sends people. That hasn't been all cherries and ice cream since then he's had struggles but he's he's making it
0: you have the most amazing stories to tell and telling them <laughs> so powerfully why is it that you became involved in the i am second movement
1: it was unexpected that's for sure i i didn't even know what i am second was it was in 2008 and i met the president of e3 partners that's the parent company of i am second and i gave him my book says so would you mind doing me a favor we're doing a uh, video thing. It's called I Am Second. It's like a little campaign. We're doing somebody a favor. Would you mind coming? I'm like, yeah, I'll do you guys a favor. <laughs> you know, no problem. And so I left. and I didn't think anything about it. Well, then, in December of '08, all of a sudden, there's billboards popping up all, all over the city, and I'm like, what? Is, I think I did something for them. <laughs> 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 and the next thing you know, I'm, I get on the website, and I see all these other testimonies. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. It's an amazing movie. And then I call them immediately, and I'm like, hey, I want to be involved. What What do I need to do? Not giving a lot of preachiness, but getting your hands dirty and living a life that reflects Christ so that someone might change. And through that, man, it was it was awesome. For the message of I am second, that is what it is about being transparent, authentic, and real with people in such a powerful way that their lives are changed.
0: So you are second and Jesus is number one.
1: Jesus is first, and that's that's the
0: message. Chris Plick and Paul, it's been... An amazing conversation. Thank you so much indeed for joining us as part of our series in I Am Second. It's been great to talk. Thanks very much indeed for joining us on Open House.
1: Thank you so much, and thanks for having me in the land down under.
0: <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.